What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and today we are taking a deep dive into the 2019 schedule. If you guys have been with us throughout the offseason, you know we've been making our way through the schedule with our Scouting the Enemy series, giving you a detailed look at each opponent on the schedule. All of our subscribers have had access to each and every one of those shows. I think we posted a couple of those shows, at least one or two, up for free, but... All of our subscribers have had access to all those, so we've been going through that all offseason long. But today, we thought it would be fun to take a step back to look at the big picture here in the 2019 season. Kind of take a look at each game on the schedule and rank them from least to most difficult. So we're going to have some fun with that here in a few minutes. But first, we're actually going to start off with some news about the future of this podcast. So Stick with me here just for a couple minutes, guys. I promise we'll get to all the good hardcore football stuff here in just a few minutes, but do have some news that I wanted to share with you guys. Don't worry. It's good news. This show is not going anywhere. It's actually about this time last year where uh, our deal with Dog Sports Radio, V-Sport uh, Internet Radio Network kind of went under. We didn't know what the future was going to be like, but we kind of uh, got together and, and created a plan, and we are still here today, and we don't really plan on going anywhere. At least that's the plan. Uh, so the show's not going anywhere, but we are making a few adjustments and actually, I think a pretty big addition to our show. In fact, we have plans to expand our coverage during the 2019 Georgia football season. So no, we are not going anywhere. It's actually quite the opposite, but uh, it will look, or I guess, I guess it will sound a little different. You guys know Curtis, my original and longtime co-host here on the Glory UGA podcast. I think we're going into, I tried to figure this out the other day. I think we're going into our fifth year. It's our fifth or sixth. I'm, I'm going to say fifth year. Going into our fifth season together covering uh, Georgia football. It's, it's kind of hard to believe that we've been at it that long, but it's been at least five years. Uh, but thing is, Curtis, my man Kurt, is taking a big life step uh, starting this August, starting here in a couple of weeks. He has decided to make a career change. Um, I know, it's kind of crazy. But he will begin attending law school in August. I, uh, I funny story here. Uh, I myself almost took that plunge years ago. Um, I took the LSAT, got accepted into law school, actually quit my job, uh, but then decided at literally the very last second that uh, it wasn't exactly the direction I wanted to take my life in. Uh, I'll never forget walking home and uh, not walking home, driving home and figuring I'm going to tell my wife that story. Uh, She took it well. But anyway, uh, I almost went down that path. But uh, personally, I'm extraordinarily glad that I did that. I made the decision to not go to law school because I love my life now. It's great. But Kurt is dead set on it. It's going to be great for him. Very excited for him. That's the path he's going to be taking. He's excited. I'm extremely happy and excited for him. But the thing is, the plan has been to expand the uh, amount of content that we produce for all of our subscribers once the season hits. Uh, right now, what we're planning on is to go to three shows a week, about a week or two before the first game. So about mid-August, we're going to go to about three shows a week there. And then once the season hits, the plan is to go to three to five shows a week. Actually, more likely, probably some weeks it'll be four. Uh, some weeks, you know, depending on the content, depending on who we're playing, what we've got for you guys, it'll be five, up to five shows a week. So you might potentially some weeks have a show every single day. Uh, on, uh, on on Podbean, if you're one of our subscribers, we'll, we'll post one free show a week throughout the season. We'll post the recap show, uh, but everything else will be for our subscribers only. So there's still plenty of time for the season to go ahead and get in for 
Right now, $2 a month. You have access to all of our shows throughout the football season, the off season, basketball season, tennis season, whatever. Whatever season it is, we're covering Georgia sports. We always talk Georgia football year-round, so you still have time to get in there. But anyway, I'm very excited about bringing you guys more content than we have ever before here on the Glory UJ podcast. But obviously, with the demands of law school, especially year one in law school, Curtis just, uh, he's not going to be able to dedicate that much time to the podcast, at least not in the way that would do the show justice. He has other things he's got to worry about right now. They're taking a little more priority. So uh, I will, I want to make sure everyone understands Curtis is definitely still going to be a part of the show. The plan right now is for him to be on two shows a week during the season, basically like he has been throughout most of the offseason. But if he's only going to be able to be on the show two days a week and the plan is to go to three to five shows a week, obviously, do the math there, we need to add another personality to the podcast. And that's what this intro here is about today. I, I strongly consider just doing the additional shows solo. I thought about that long and hard. You might have noticed me kind of experimenting more and more with that over the course of the summer. And it does work for some shows, like our Sky and the Enemy series. I think it works out really well with that. But it's just honestly not going to work with game preview shows and pick shows and things like that. And honestly, I'll just be straight up with you guys. Doing a, a solo show, it is a lot of work. Selfishly, it's a lot of work. It's a difficult task to carry a podcast episode all by yourself. It's, it's just tough. And while I, I do work hard to make those shows that I do end up doing solo the best I possibly can... I think, I mean, let's be real, we all know, it's just, I, at least personally, I think it's generally much more interesting for the audience to have more than one voice on the show. So, over the past few weeks, I've been working on adding a third co-host on the shows that Curtis is not going to be able to do during this 2019 season and kind of moving forward. I just wanted, you know, someone to bounce ideas off of, someone to challenge me, because you guys know I'm an idiot half the time, someone to kind of banter with back and forth, and uh, so when I was going through the process of trying to figure out who I wanted to add to this show there were really kind of like five things I was looking for during this search. Uh, number one, I wanted someone that I know. Uh, I think that's important because I want someone to have a previous relationship with, someone that I kind of we kind of already banter back and forth. We go at each other, have a good time. We kind of know each other's personality. That was priority number one for me, someone that I know. That was important to me. Then I also, obviously, since it's a Georgia-centric podcast, I wanted someone that is like all of you guys out there, like me, passionate about Georgia football, University of Georgia in general. Um, and then, of course, you want someone – that has not not just passion, but is also knowledgeable. Having passion is one thing. There's a lot of passionate people about Georgia sports, but that doesn't mean they all have the knowledge to come on and do a Georgia-centric podcast. So I want someone with the knowledge of Georgia and college sports in general. Then, uh, of course, I also want someone with a great personality. It would just be fun to listen to, someone that you guys would be entertained by. And finally, this is also really I – mean, the first one's really important, and this one is really important to me too. Uh, I needed someone who I could really count on to kind of commit that time consistently to doing the show – and then I could trust to just not flick out on me because that sucks. You know, if you're ready to go and you got some stuff going on, we got a deadline, we got to meet, get a show out to you guys, and they all of a sudden call them up, I can't do it. Uh, no, that wouldn't work out. So those are the things I was looking for in my next co-host here, or at least our next part-time co-host. And there were like there were a number of people that fit one or two of those requirements, a couple that hit a few more. Uh, but ultimately, like when I really thought about this, it was a pretty easy choice because there was one person that, in my mind, was the obvious choice. I kind of checked each one of those boxes. Someone that I have known for a, how long now? A very, very long time. A very long time. Yeah, we've known each other a long time now. Um, and honestly, someone that, you know, I feel okay. Are you cool with me saying this? One of my favorite people in the world. Pretty awesome. Um, and number two, someone who has missed, what, only uh, one Georgia game? Uh, home away or neutral? I think you missed one last six years, something like that. I'm never going to live this down. 
Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. She she did not make the trip out to Arkansas a couple years ago because she didn't want to go to Little Rock. So that's the one game. So, I, you know, she is... Oh, what, what, Never going to live it down. I, I, you, your streak. Your streak. I don't know what happened to your streak. I just It was whatever. Uh, also a season ticket holder. So she's got the Georgia bona fides there. Uh, someone who I talk college football with all the time and, uh, believe it or not, actually break down film with from time to time. Uh, just have some good time doing that. Um, someone who's not definitely not afraid to call me. I would know each other long enough that she... She's certainly not afraid to call me out. And undoubtedly, I would say probably the most reliable person I've ever met in my life. So kind of met all of those criteria that I was looking for in a person. And that person is my friend Ch- Charlotte, a.k.a. Charlie. Charlie for sure. That's what she goes by. We're going by, Sh- we're going by Charlotte. Char- Charlotte. Charlotte or Charlie? You've known me a long time. It's Charlie. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know, you know, out in the, whatever this is, the cloud is, we call this the cloud. I don't know what it is. I but. still don't understand what the cloud is. Yeah. Well, I mean... I'm I'm not smart enough to. I mean, I miss the tech classes. I didn't go to tech. The listeners know yeah. that. Yeah. Anyway, obviously, yeah, obviously I always say no. But anyway, uh, but anyway, Charlie's here. I'm absolutely thrilled to introduce her as my new part-time co-host here on the Glory UJ po- podcast. Charlie, welcome to the big leagues. Big leagues. Really? Uh, okay. Maybe maybe not the big leagues. True. Fair. Ouch. Wow. Day one, you're going there, right? Okay, we know who we are here. Maybe more like Class A short season league, but regardless, whatever. Whatever. Shut up. Whatever. Uh, welcome to our little Glory UGA community. Thanks for having me. It's very exciting to be here. Uh, you more excited or you more nervous? Uh, both. Both. We'll see. Don't be nervous. I screw up every day on the show. All of our listeners will tell you that. It's all good. Uh, and no, guys, uh, your ears are not deceiving you. Charlie is, in fact, no, you cannot see her, but the voice probably gives it away. She is, in fact, a woman. It is true. Yes. Uh, and I, I do want to quickly address the elephant in the room here. Look, uh, well, I, I think this prejudice is thankfully increasingly becoming a thing of the past. Look, I, I, I know. I mean, when I was younger, I was probably, I was this way. I, I know that traditionally men, guys, we're all reluctant to kind of respect women when it comes to their ability to talk sports, especially football. Uh, but there are a couple things that I can assure you of when it comes to Charlie. Number one, Charlie knows her stuff. There's no doubt about that. You don't, and you don't have to take my word for it. If you listen for five minutes to this show, once we get into the into the actual content, you're gonna figure that out pretty quickly. She picks up, actually, sometimes picks up on things that it's hard for me to admit, Charlie, um, that I miss sometimes. That, that that's hard to admit, but it happens. Uh, and number two, like I would never trust me, guys. I would never hire someone to serve as a co-host on this show if I had even the slightest doubt about their ability to bring it, to absolutely bring it when it comes to Georgia sports. I the, the fact is, I have worked way too hard to build this podcast. I, even though Charlie, wow, I guess we are Class A short season, whatever. It might not be the big leagues, but I've still worked hard to build it up to Class A single or short season. But uh, I've worked hard to build this podcast. Um, and I'm not going to bring in someone who couldn't hack it. I'm not going to bring someone in the fold like that. Trust me on that. And, and look, guys, I, I promise you, I could have selected, uh, I could have easily selected a guy for this co-host role. I could have. I know plenty of guys, plenty of dudes out there who who love the University of Georgia that I could have brought on in the show that would have done a really nice job. But the thing is, as I kept thinking about this and thinking about it, like, because I knew you know, a lot of people probably want another guy on the show, whatever. But that would have been doing a disservice to the show because that would have been me picking a guy just because. I, my, of my ideas that most guys probably want to hear other guys talking football. It would have required me to willfully choose someone who I didn't think was the best person for this part-time co-host job. Because again, in my mind, it's clear to me, to me, I think you guys have figured this out pretty quickly, that Charlie was the best person for this role. And um, and like, and who hires someone they don't think is the best candidate for the job? Like, who does that? I'm, I'm not going to be that guy. So uh, I do understand that anytime there is a change of any sort, and again, just a reminder, Curtis is still very much going to be a part of this podcast moving forward. But anytime there's a change 
something that has been working, at least to whatever degree this show has been working. Uh, even if it's an addition and not a subtraction, as is the case here, it, it look it, I know it naturally generates a little skepticism. That's 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 just natural. Uh, but I'm telling you guys again, if you just give her a chance, and I think you'll realize very quickly that a she knows more about Georgia football than most of your male friends, most of your guy friends. I, I'm, and that's just me saying that. I, I, that's my firm belief. She knows more than pretty much any of my guy friends. And uh, B, I think you also figure out that she's going to bring a new dynamic to the show that will make the show, I'm, I'm hoping, even more entertaining. So I'm excited, but I am taking way too much time here, way too much of the airtime so far. So let me turn things over to Charlie here. She's going to take on my normal role as the host, and I'm going to assume Curtis's customary role as the analyst as we take a deep dive into the 2019 Georgia football schedule and rank the games from easiest to toughest. But uh, all right, guys, let's go ahead. Charlie, take it away. Thanks for that very thorough uh, introduction. A little too long? A little too long? A little too long, so let's go ahead and dive right in. Uh, we're going to start from the bottom, so we'll start with pick number 12, and I'll let okay. you go first, but let's let the listeners know, we were already talking about this before the podcast, like a little we normally bit. A little do, bit, just a little bit. And we were talking about how there's a few different tiers where we could group some of these teams together, and it was kind of questionable as to where we would rank, who we would rank five or six, and it could go either way, but let's go ahead and start with the bottom, which we might, we already have two teams down there, which pretty much everybody knows we're going to rank as 11 and 12. So who do you have at number 12? First off, I, I want to – are we sure there's only two teams in that bottom tier? You said it, not me. Are we sure there's only two teams in that bottom tier? I mean, I would put three. Okay, yeah, I mean, come on. At this point, <laughs> at least this year, I think there might be three that kind of are classified to go in that bottom tier. But anyway, uh, number 12, I think this one, uh, I mean, it, it's pretty easy. Look, Murray State's going to come in number 12. I'm not going to go too much in detail with Murray State because, let's be real, no one cares about Murray State. They are an FC. The reason I got him at number 12, and look, we got Murray State, Arkansas State, and then who would be the third team in the tier? Um, Georgia Tech with a lowercase g. Yes, always with a lowercase g or a lowercase t, however you choose to spell that. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, the, I think at least Murray State, Arkansas State, and Tech, I think you can really, I really think you can throw Tech down that bottom uh, seller as well this year. But Murray State's at the FCS team here. They're the one that's not even in the FBS. So I'm going to go, look, I, I, be honest with you, I don't know much about Murray State other than that they're in Kentucky. They're pretty, good, pretty solid basketball program. Football, no, they're coming here for a paycheck. Yeah, I had to Google a little bit to find that out. What they won f- five games last year. They did? I mean, that's not horrible. They they did. you know their mascot? I did not look that up. What they, is it? They are the racers. Oh, yes, get I did it? see uh, that. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky, yeah. horse racing, get it? Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Fun yeah. stuff, yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, yeah, Murray State, I don't want to spend too much time on them. They got them coming in to last. They're coming here. They're the baby seal coming here to get a paycheck. And then I got number 11. I, I did think about this one for a minute here. I did think about this one. Should I put Arkansas State or Georgia Tech in there at number eleven? And I was so tempted. Brutal. Like I was so I was so tempted to to put Tech in at number eleven, but I went with Arkansas State here. Um, and look, Arkansas State, I, I have them number eleven, not number twelve. Um, I have them ahead of Murray State because look, it's at least a respectable Sun Belt program. If you guys aren't familiar with them. Uh, this is the program Gus Malzahn coached for a couple of years after he left Arkansas. Or, I'm sorry, after he left Auburn as their offense coordinator, went to Arkansas State, got a little head coaching experience. Then, of course, he ends back up at Auburn. Um, but they're a solid, respectable program. What well, they went last year, Hannah? It was it eight games, nine games? Yeah, won. eight and five. Yeah, the eight and five. So I mean, look, a solid, respectable Sun Belt program. If you guys aren't familiar with the Sun Belt, that's where Appalachian State and Georgia Southern play now. So solid program there. Um, but 
again, they're coming to get a paycheck. They're going to get beat down. And that brings us to, uh, what's up, number 10 now? Number 10, yes. All right, so again, with the tier there, you guys probably know where we're going here. Uh, the lowliest Power 5 team on our schedule. Lowliest, is that a word? Lowliest, lowliest. Check the Scrabble dictionary. Yeah, I'm. I'm not sure. Uh, anyway, uh, I got Tech coming in at number ten. And this, like, look, guys. I, honestly, I've, I've, you know, I've been doing this guy in the enemy series all off season long. And traditionally, every year I do it for every team, even if I don't think they're any good. Like in the past, although I think Vanderbilt's pretty good this year, at least decent. In the past, they've been terrible. Um, but um, I, I usually do it for every team because I don't want to jinx us. I'm afraid of like, you know, f- I always feel like I have power over what happens to the Georgia football team. So if I don't respect the opponents and our team don't respect them, we're going to lose. And it's, it's a whole superstitious thing. Anyway, so I uh, I always do a, a show for every team on our schedule. But this year I'm really seriously considering not doing one for Tech because like what is there to even talk about? Well, other than how horrible they're going to be because they're changing their entire offense. I mean, it's an entire, it's an overhaul entirely. Like, yeah, I mean, you go from the triple option to try now run a, a hurry up, no huddle spread type system, and they'll probably be, you know, they're probably going to go fully to the hurry up, no huddle spread this uh, this season. But they're they're going to be going in that direction. But the personnel, it's such an issue with them. Like they black in what the past decade or so with Paul Johnson, where they have three running backs on the field at one time, you have no tight ends. So their roster numbers, their personnel numbers are like position wise are all screwed up. They'd go out and just basically take tight ends from the YMCA to fill out this 2019 recruiting class. They, they just do not have the personnel offensively. Their linemen are recruited to play the triple option offense, not recruited to hold up against big boy football. When you got to hold up against guys, you're trying to run, trying to try to run the football down their throat without the deception there. That is obviously associated with the triple option offense. Uh, it's just it's going to be an issue for them. Now defensively, you don't have as many of those issues. They've been trying to run a, a, a fairly respectable defense for a couple of years. They have, I don't know if they have been respectable, but, they, but they've been running more traditional base defense. But offensively, man, it's just going to take a couple years to get the personnel they need to really make that transition. They, like, and I'll give it to them. They, they've put together a solid staff. I'll give them that. Now, ridiculously, like, absurdly goofy and, like, just, like, completely campy. But it's a solid staff, especially getting, getting Brent Key from Alabama's offensive line coach was a big hire for them. And and say what you want about old Geoff Collins, um, old Coach Capri, you know, got Coach Khaki up there in Ann Arbor. They got Coach Capri down here, always wearing his freaking Capris wherever he wants to go. It's weird. I don't get it. But um, he's kind of injected some excitement of the program. But man, like, look, this year is not the year. It's not the year. And next year's probably not the year either. And probably not the next year. Who knows? But uh, yeah, I got them coming at number 10. So what's up next? What's up next? Well, I agree well, with that. First of all, did you have 10? Did you, did you have the yeah, same Yeah, I had three? Georgia Tech at 10. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Their offense is just going to get pushed around quite a bit this year. And just so you guys know, the founder of Waffle House went to Tech. I can't even. I can't even. So Waffle Tyler has now boycotted Waffle House and refuses to eat there because they're associated with the enemy. I can't do it, guys. And like, so think honestly, about that the next time you eat at Waffle House. And it sucks. Like, I have great fond childhood memories of going to, going to Waffle House with my dad before every football game. Now, thinking about that in retrospect, like what was I doing scuffing my face before my Little League football games, like an hour before the game at Waffle House? <laughs> and re- I mean, when you're a kid, things, you know, you're, you're fine. I could definitely not do that now. Uh, but yeah, Waffle House is dead to me. Um, I'm Cracker Barrel all the way. I just right. I can't do it. Anyway. No more talking about them. Sorry. I mean, yeah, they're done. All right, so let's move on to number nine. Now, I have another tier here of two. I think this is where you and I diverge a little bit. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, you go ahead. Who do you have at number nine? Okay, I've got 
the Kentucky Wildcats. I know this is a big fall. I don't want to say fall from grace. Is like it's can't, can't really say they were in grace, but they were good. Had ten wins for one year. Uh, but you guys know if you've listened to the Scout and the Enemy Kentucky show, if you're one of our subscribers, you know that I think Kentucky's in store for a big step back last year. Uh, look, and, and it's weird. Like I was trying to watch as much of the SEC media days as I could. I trying to God, I was trying to suffer through that. I hate watching that. But you know, you gotta get the content. You run a show like this, you gotta try to watch that stuff. And I was actually surprised at the number of analysts uh, on the SEC network that were actually pretty high on Kentucky coming into this season. I just, I don't get it. I, I'm not buying it one bit at all. Last year, you guys watched this team play. It was all about their defense. They won 10 games literally on the back of that defense. But the thing is, they lose essentially every impact player, save maybe Cash Daniel, if you want to call him an impact player last year. And he was maybe like their seventh or eighth best defensive player last year. But they lose, obviously, big-time Josh Allen, uh, a top-ten draft pick, great pass rusher. You lose Jordan Jones at inside linebacker. Those two guys combined for 68 starts in their career, 475 tackles, 69.5 tackles for loss. Obviously, Josh Allen broke the Kentucky single-season record. 17 sacks last year. That's gone. That's the most in the SEC since 2005. But it's not just that. that that's bad enough, losing those guys. But then on top of that, you're losing five multi-year starters in secondary. And oh, by the way, guys, like unless you're in a dime defense, there's only five starting positions in the secondary if you kind of nickel back. They're losing every single one of them. Uh, they're losing Mike Edwards, who's a top 100 draft pick. Lonnie Johnson, who's a second round pick. Derek Beatty, Chris, Chris Westry, Darius West. All of those guys are gone. All of them had at least 18 starts. Now, this defense was great last year. They were second in the SEC, at six, only giving up 16.8 points a game. That's stellar. They were really, really good. But they're just going to fall off the map this year defensively. It's just, I mean, well, okay, I shouldn't say they're going to fall off the map, but there's nowhere, there's no way they're coming anywhere near producing those type of numbers. They're going to be near as dominant as they were a year ago. And uh, and the thing is, like, they just don't recruit well enough to replace the quantity of impact players they lost from last year. They don't recruit well enough to replace all those guys in one year. They just don't. I think I think on average, when I did the, if I remember correctly from the Scout and the Enemy show, I think over the last four recruiting cycles, they finished on average like 34th nationally. That's you can't replace all those impact players in one year when you recruit 34th nationally. The defense is just not going to be as good. I don't care if Mark Stoops is a defensive coach; it's just not going to happen. Um, and like the thing is, like offensively, which was their issue last year, we all know that. I don't see how their offense improves enough to compensate for their defense taking what I think is going to be a pretty big step back this year. I mean, a quarterback it was an adventure for them. Terry Wilson ended up starting you know, the transfer from Oregon or started his career at Oregon, then went to JUCO, and then ends up Kentucky. He's back for year two, so it'll probably be a little bit better, right? You think so? I mean, Charlie, it should be a little bit better. A little bit better, but... Yeah. But how bad was this guy last year? Uh, pretty bad. I mean, he was terrible. Yeah. He was terrible. I mean, this guy, he completed 11 or fewer passes in six of his 13 games. Almost half of his games completed 11 or fewer passes. He threw for under 100 yards three different times, highlighted by the, whew, what a performance, three of nine for 18 total yards against Vanderbilt, and he played the entire game. He did not get hurt. Three of nine for 18 yards in a game they won. That should tell you how bad the offense was and how good the defense was. I think they won that game like 7-3. to three. It was ridiculous. I actually watched the entire game. It made me want to blow my brains out. Luckily, I did not. Um, I made it through. But uh, he, and he also threw for under 121 yards in six of his 13 games as a starter last year. I just he'll again he'll probably be a little bit better, but when you take out Benny Snell, who was if there was anything for them offensive, it was Benny Snell, maybe Lynn Bowden too. Um, it, you, it's hard to imagine how that he'll be that that Terry Wilson will be that much better when you take a running back the caliber of Benny Snell out of the equation because let's not let's not make any bones about this Terry Wilson was that bad last year when he was facing one on one coverage almost every single time because they were stacking the box atop Benny Snell and he still couldn't beat one on one coverage so this year he's all of a sudden just going to be a superstar 
I I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. So I got Kentucky coming at number nine. Who you got at nine? At number nine, well, at number nine, I have Vandy. Okay, why? Okay, so why? Why is Kentucky be better than Vandy? Why is Kentucky gonna be better? Well, again, it's one of those tiers. I have Kentucky yeah. at eight, so right. it's kind of a toss up. It could be a coin flip. I mean, I, I see what you're saying there. I think Kentucky. I think Vanderbilt has. Oh, Kentucky probably better defensively. I think Vandy has more weapons offensively. Pinkney, right? Lipscomb, mm-hmm. Keyshawn Vaughn. Keyshawn. We were talking about Keyshawn Vaughn. That dude's a baller. Would you running s- back. Yeah. Would you? S- Let me just tell you, I am horrible with names. Tyler remembers every name of every player and their number for every team. I do. Myself, on the other hand, I cannot do that. My brain cannot so hold you- that much power. But yes, he is uh, very so I'm, good. I'm smarter than you. Is what you're saying? No, I did not say that. Well, I have my so I can remember things, and like that's part of your brain, right? And brain determines okay. intelligence. Let's keep it. Moving. Okay, sorry. Let's keep it anyway, uh, all right. So you got Vinny at nine. I got Kentucky at nine. Um, actually, I've got. Who do you have at eight? You have Kentucky, Kentucky. at eight. You have Kentucky at eight. Okay. I, I put Vandy at nine because their quarterback is just. Who knows. Yeah, I mean, really, it's who knows. Yeah. I mean, Riley Neal, maybe from Ball State, who was a transfer from Ball they State. They lost got... a lot of defense, too. So, I mean, they again, lost a lot. It's a toss up. Yeah. And Kyle Shermer is probably the best quarterback they've yeah. had in how long? You know, long time. Long time. Decades, probably. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Oh, Jay Cutler. Jay Cutler. Maybe since Jay Cutler. He's yeah. on an E show now or something, right? Uh, you would know that. I don't, I don't know. I'm a man. I don't. I don't... Ask your wives <laughs> or girlfriends. They probably know. I'm not sure my wife knows. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's keep going here. All right, so number are we at eight. Yes. All right. So number eight, I've got, I got the Tennessee Volunteers. Where'd you have Tennessee? Seven. All right, so we're not that far apart. I got Tennessee coming in at number eight. Uh, and look, Tennessee. Like, I don't know if I don't know how comfortable I feel about Tennessee being number eight because this like this could be since it's on the road. It could potentially be scarier than it has any business being. Like we've been in, we've been in Knoxville, and it's been that that way a couple of times before, where we were better, the better team, and somehow either lost or had ended up sneaking one out. And then again, it was much closer than it needed to be. But uh, look, I, so on the road, Knoxville, it can obviously be can be difficult. But like we are just a such a significantly more talented team than what Tennessee is this year. And they, they have some players. I think they're going to be... like. Do you think, how much better do you think Tennessee's going to be this year? Like, I think they're going to be a little bit better. Uh, Guarantano, you know, he doesn't panic, even though he was running for his life he, last like, year. He was, you know... Like, I was convinced the offensive line had, like, a hit out on him. Like, yeah. somewhere, like, like there was a hit out on him. The offensive line was trying to collect on that. Like, I don't... Yeah, I don't... It was I, hard to watch. Yeah, it, it was tough to watch. Um... I think Warantano is actually better than people give him credit for. I did the Tennessee Sky on the Enemy show a couple weeks ago, and I, and I put that out there on that show. Like, don't get me wrong, Warantano is not an elite quarterback. I don't, I don't have him the top, uh, you know, the top three or four guys in the SEC. But like, a lot, a lot of people I hear in the Georgia fan base want to talk about this guy like he's like garbage, and I don't, I don't know if he's that bad. Um, but Tennessee might have garbage if he gets hurt because he he doesn't have a backup. They're, well, I mean, but how many teams do you know? I mean, can you not say that about I almost, mean, we don't have a backup. Right, with the transfer portal, it's kind of like just that's the way it is for people. Yeah. Like, who has a good backup now? Yeah. Like, you can say that about us. Yeah, people, that's one thing. But I heard that on SEC media. So, well, if Jake Fromm goes down, I'm like, well, well, if Trevor Lawrence goes down to Clemson, if. It's more important now than ever to have a really good offensive line. Yeah, and like in Tua Tagovailoa, if, yeah, exactly, which is what we have, right? So. Yes. So, and Tennessee does not have the best O line. Uh, well, I mean, as you mentioned, last year they were an absolute train wreck. Yes. Um, and this year, like, I, in, I guess the 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 conventional wisdom is that you know, when you're that bad, like they were last year, happens line that, that like that they can't be any worse, right? 
I'm just not so sure that's the case with Tennessee this year. They're going to be starting more than likely two true freshmen at the tackle positions. Now, highly rated position, highly rated guys. Okay, you got Wayne Morris and Darnell Wright coming in. It's highly rated guys coming out of high school, but the fact is they are true freshmen playing in the trenches in the toughest line of scrimmage league in all of college football. I just don't know how they're going to be better. I think it's going to be much the same for this Tennessee offensive line. And I think Guarantano, again, is going to be running for his life. I mean, last year, this offensive line, just to give you an idea of how bad they were, they were 127th nationally in line yards, which is an, a, was a, is a, uh, an advanced statistic that basically tries to account for how many yards the line is responsible for giving a running back. Uh, they were 123rd nationally in power success rate, which is the percentage of runs on third or fourth down with two yards or less to go that achieve either a first down or a touchdown. They only converted those situations, guys, 56% of the time. 123rd nationally out of 130 teams in the FBS. That's uh, that's terrible. Oh, and by the way, they were dead last. 130th nationally in stuff rate. Stuff rate is the percentage of times you're, you're stopped at or behind the line of scrimmage uh, on any given down. And they were stopped at or behind line of scrimmage on 33% of their plays. A full third, Charlie. A full third of their plays, they were stopped at or behind line of scrimmage. That's a pretty bad statistic. Pretty damning? It's, it's just really hard to be a like, Tennessee literally, fan Well, right literally, now. you can't be worse than Still, that. Still, <laughs> it's been hard to be a Tennessee fan for over a decade. Do you feel bad for them? I do. Really? I mean, I don't want them to win. I mean, I definitely want well, us to beat them, but... But you don't, like, there's no, like, I can't say this word, Schoidenfrude, Schoidenfrude, whatever that German word is, you know, where you take pleasure in other people's failures. I Schadenfrude. Mean, Schadenfreude. I just feel bad for them. Like, if I was a season Why? ticket holder... Because you're a way more empathetic person than I am. I, I know you could look at them and say, well, if that was me, I would hate if my If I life. was a season ticket holder and that's what I was seeing every game... I mean, we can go into the whole season ticket holder thing as a Georgia fan now because I don't really... Well, you were there when we beat them 41 nothing last time, right? In yeah. Knoxville. What Do you remember what it was like seeing those people? I mean... Oh, it, my God. At, at that point, I did feel a little bad for them. I was, like, giddy with excitement, but I was also like, oh, God, man, that Well, they really kind of deserved it. But, you know, it's just hard to be a Tennessee fan. It has been for a long time. But just, maybe they'll improve this year. We'll see. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, so I, I think their offensive line is terrible. They do have some skill players I think are pretty good, uh, especially the receiver position. you got Marquez Callaway, Jawan Jennings. We all remember him, and we're not going to say why. Uh, Ty Chandler, I think, is a really good running back, a very explosive running back. That, uh, so they have some guys there if Guarantano can get time to get them the football, but I just don't know if he's going to have the time. Defensively, they'll probably be a little bit better, but, I mean, they're, they're losing a lot there. You got Nigel Warrior coming back, who, who's... Uh, he, now, he hasn't really... I don't know, I've not really quite lived up to his his lofty recruiting rankings, but he's been a solid player for them. But, I mean, outside of that, who do they have? I mean, you got... I don't know. Uh, you got Daniel Batuli, who's a pretty good inside linebacker. I mean, he's I, he's a guy that's... He, he's way more athletically gifted than what I think he actually produces on the field, but... Like, I know it's not a road game, and I, I'm never, like, not... Every time I go to Knoxville, I'm always like, man, like, this could get kind of, you know... It's a, if, if that plays... If we start... If they start rolling, like, that plays can get pretty rowdy. Um, but as long as we kind of just exert our will, like, we should. Like, we, like, like you know, be the like team that... we should. Should being keyword. Sometimes... Well, like, if we want to... it takes a while to get yeah. the ball rolling. I mean, yeah. But if, like, if we want to be this elite blue blood program, like, you go... Like, you don't lose games like Tennessee. Like, I don't care what's on the road. You go in there and you just beat the crap out like we did two years ago. So let's do it again. Uh, all right, what's up next? Where seven. All right, seven. So you had Tennessee at seven. Um, this is where I got Vanderbilt. So I got Vanderbilt a couple spots higher than you. You had them at nine. Uh, and let me say this. And Charlie, feel free to call me crazy because I probably am. All of you guys out there can, can think I'm crazy too. Uh, but I'm at least somewhat concerned about this opener 
in Nashville. Um, hear me out. I know that sounds like blasphemous. Like, what, Vandy? But I think people are discounting Vanderbilt a little too much right now. Um, they have three stud offensive skill players. I'm, I'm talking like flat-out studs. you got Jerry Pinkney, who's the leading returning tight end in the or receiving tight end coming into the into the SEC this year. you got Kalijah Lipscomb, who was almost a, basically a 1,000-yard receiver last year. Uh, I think he actually led the SEC in receptions. I don't know if I can double-check that, but I th- he was either first or second in the SEC in receptions. Um, and Actually, he was number one. I'm looking at it right now. He's number one. Uh, he was actually number three in yards. He had 916 yards. 87 catches, 916 yards, 10 yards a catch. He's actually 12th nationally in receptions. Kalaja Lipscomb is the real deal. doesn't look the part, but he's a really good receiver out there. And then the guy that I think everyone is going to find out who this guy is very early this season. I hope not too early. I hope not week one. If, you got, if you're not aware of this guy yet, guys, you need to get aware. Keyshawn Vaughn is the real freaking deal at running back. I mean, this guy is flat out crazy good. And I don't understand what they were doing last year. They had this guy all year. I know he's fighting injuries at times last year. But the first half of the year, they just basically did not use him. He had more than 11 carries only once through the first eight games. And in those eight games, they had 61 yards a game. But then the final five, they finally realized, oh, wait, Keyshawn Vaughn is really good. The final five games, he had, he averaged, uh, I want to say, was 150 yards a game. 9.34 yards a carry, guys. He had games 172 yards rushing, 182 in 243. And oh, by the way, Kyle Shermer, who was really good last year all the way around, but Kyle Shermer's completion percentage went up to 68% when Keyshawn Vaughn came in the game and was getting all those carries last five games of the year because obviously defenses had to uh, had to adjust and uh, and put more guys in the box, dedicate more resources there. They gave Shermer more advantageous, favorable coverage to, to throw against down the field, and he was able to complete a lot more of his passes. So even though you're losing Kyle Shermer, who was the best quarterback they've had since Jay Cutler, Keyshawn Vaughn will make whoever the quarterback is, it's probably going to be Riley Neal, he'll make his job so much easier. So offensively, I think they're pretty good. Defensively, though, they are not on our level. We should be able to move the football on them defensively, Right. Yes, I mean, absolutely. That, yeah, this is a team that we should absolutely be able to move the football on. And look, we should be able to stop this team. If we're going to be as good as we, we think we are, especially as good as I think we're going to be on, on defense this year, as good as they have, as good as some of these players are, we are just the better football team. But the fact is, you know, week one, another thing that concerns me, it's not that it's on the road, it's that it's week one. Like We all know there's going to be more Georgia fans than Vanderbilt fans, but they have a new offense coordinator. We have a new offense coordinator. So no one has film on exactly what the opposing offense is going to look like in that first game in Nashville. Now, they can probably think we'll look a lot like we did last year, maybe a few differences here. We can probably think, well, well we know Derek Mason wants to be you know, kind of a, a downhill rushing attack type offense, but we don't know exactly what it's going to look like. They might have some tricks up their sleeves. We have a new offense coordinator. They just, we don't know. So that unknown, that uncertainty just gives me a, like a, the slightest bit of pause there. And, and look, I'm not trying to sound the alarm here and say, oh my God, we're going to lose to Vanderbilt. But I'm just saying like, Let's not just sit there and say, oh my God, it's Vanderbilt, like, it's Vanderbilt of years past. Like, they're a respectable program. It's a respectable team. They've got some good players, and we need to just be ready to play. I think we will. Hopefully it's not a problem, but I just want to put that out there just a little bit there. All right, where are we going next? Well, you know, I think it'll be a little bit closer in the first half than we're all comfortable with, but in the second half we'll turn what it on What do you think, like a, like a touchdown? Two touchdowns? What do you think? Three uh, points? Tied? Losing? I think within touchdown or two. They'll think they can come back from it, but they won't be able to. Well, I'll be a nervous wreck if, if that's the case. But We can be winning by three touchdowns, and he's still a nervous wreck. Mm, yeah, yeah. It's personality flaw. It is. All right, let's go to number six. Are we at six now? I'm losing Yeah, yeah I think we're on six. All right, well, I have 
the East Coast version of USC with the South Carolina Gamecocks. Who do you have? Uh, actually, we are spot on here. We both have the Cox coming in at number six. Um, I don't know what to think about this. I, I, I have thoughts about them, like, but I'm concerned about Will Muschamp's future. Like, have you looked at that schedule? It's pretty bad. Like, so they play... He's only beaten one ranked team... Well, Muschamp? Yeah. Since he's been at South Carolina? Yeah. That's not, I mean, I don't know that off the top of my head that sounds Let's right. Let's look that up real quick. Uh, but look, I mean, they're one of two teams in the country that has to play, who are probably going to be the three preseason top three teams. You've got Georgia, Alabama, and Clemson. They got, along with Texas A&M, they're one of two teams that have got to play each of those teams. Now, they get two of those teams at home this year. Did you find it? Yeah, so it says Muschamp is 1-11 against ranked teams at South Carolina. That sounds about right. I mean, like, what's his big win at, I mean, at South but, Carolina? I mean, he hasn't even beaten Kentucky. But who are they going to get? It's a tough job. It's a, well, it's a tough job. It, I'll, tell you what made that, I'll, I'll tell you what made that job tougher when Kirby Smart came to Georgia. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, Kirby was probably going to take the South Carolina job if we didn't fire Mark Rick and, and bring thank him on God board. Thank God he did not. Yeah, I mean, like, history has been rewritten, thank God. Um, but, uh, I mean, Muschamp's, he's upgrading their talent, though. And that's the thing. Like, he's upgrading the talent. It hasn't really, like, they had, that what, nine wins two years ago, and everyone thought they were going to be, like, the next coming of Jesus Christ coming yeah, into in the last year. That didn't work. Didn't now, they had a lot of injuries last year. In the bowl game, they, like, I think it was 24 or 26 guys out with injuries in that game. So they were devastated by injuries last year. Um, so I, I don't think looking at last year gives you a, a full picture of what this team was. Because they were just they were just so shorthanded. Um, so they got a lot of those guys back. They're going to be more talented. I know they lose Debo Samuel, but I mean Brian Edwards is a stud up there, wide receiver. They have actually a pretty solid receiving core. Pretty much every running back coming back, and you got Jake Bentley, who's more or less like a, going to his fourth year as a starter. I mean, he didn't start his entire freshman year, but he started I'd say about half that year. So this guy has been around for a long time. Um, well, and on Jake Bentley, if you watch Jake Bentley, South Carolina plays pretty well when Jake Bentley plays pretty well. And I know you mentioned this in the Scouting the Enemy yeah. report, so if you're not a subscriber, you need to become a subscriber and go back and listen to all of those uh, Scouting the Enemy reports because Tyler mentioned this. But when Jake Bentley plays well, Carolina plays well. When Jake Bentley has a bad day, Carolina has a real bad day. Yeah, so, it's absolutely. Like They just don't have the town around him. Like, if Fromm doesn't play well, like, look, Joke, if Fromm doesn't play well, chances are we're, we might lose too. But at least, like, we have enough talent around him to kind of overcome. Like, his freshman year, he wasn't, he wasn't like, you know, off the charts crazy good in every single game. He didn't put up huge numbers. We had enough around him to, to kind of overcompensate, to compensate for that, not overcompensate. Uh, Bentley, I don't know if he has the same luxury there. Uh, and so I, my question is, like, who is Jake Bentley? Is he the guy that the first year and a half when he was in South Carolina that had all the endless drool that this guy was going to be the guy that could potentially lead them over the hump? Or is he the guy that led the league, I think it was 14 interceptions last year? Like, who is he? And I, and that, that I, I don't know. Because he's he's kind of been Jekyll and Hyde. It's it's just tough to say. And, and uh, Charlie's right here. You know, they kind of go as, as Jake Bentley goes. Um, now, defensively, though, I actually, like, they got some dudes defensively. Uh, Javon Kinlaw is as good of a defensive lineman as there is in this league, and no one talks about him. This guy is a guy that came in from the JUCOs last year. He is legit, man. He plays that zero tech nose. He, he plays. I've seen him move out, play a little one tech, a little three tech at times, but primarily a, a zero tech nose. And the guy is crazy athletic, stout at that position. He's a big time playmaker right there in the middle of their defense. DJ Wanham is a guy who missed almost all of last year. He's their best pass rusher. He'll be back this year. JC Horn came on as a true freshman last year as a really solid looking cornerback prospect. Yes, he is the. 
the son of former Saints wide receiver Joe Horn, if you guys remember him pulling out cell phones from the goalposts, all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, so that's a pretty good trio there. Now, look, they don't have the depth that we have defensively, and there are some holes in the secondary. And I don't think their linebackers are particularly good. I mean, they played a lot of football, T.J. Brunson and Sherrod Green, but they just don't do much. I mean, they remind me a lot of the guys that we had last year who, if, if you listen to the show for a while, you know that I just don't think they were quite good enough. And I think that's kind of what South Carolina has. But I think they're going to be more talented this year. The problem is that schedule. Like, I don't know how they win more than seven games. I just I just don't see it. But I, I the thing about this game, I also have the reason I have them a little bit higher than Tennessee. I know you might be thinking, like, well, Tennessee's on the road. South Carolina's at home, so why do you think South Carolina's going to be tougher? Number one, I think South Carolina has more talent. Right now, I do think they have more talent. I, do think, I think they have the better quarterback, and they're coming off a bye week coming into Athens. Now, so is Tennessee, but we are all we also have a bye week the same as Tennessee going into that and going into Knoxville. We do not have a bye week going into the South Carolina game. They do. That's always an advantage. So it gives me a little bit of concern. Plus, I mean, they're playing with house money. they got nothing to lose coming here to Athens. They're going to let it rip and just see what happens, and hopefully nothing happens for them, but... That's one that I'm, I'm maybe a little I'm a, I'm a little more weary of that game than maybe most people out there. All right, now I think that we where are we at number five. We're up to five. Yeah. Okay. So who you got at five, Miss Charlie? It was a coin toss again between five and four for me. I have Mizzou at five. Boo! You're wrong. No, I'm wrong. You're Tell wrong. me why. Who do you uh, have? All right. So I actually and I know this is weird because people are be like, dude, what are you talking about? Because everyone's so pumped about the Notre Dame game, and I am too. Like we're all pumped about this Notre Dame game. Uh, by the way, what is your so, you know, there's a, people have to make a decision. If you've got season tickets like I have and like you have, uh, you know, some people are trying to decide, should I sell my Notre Dame tickets? Should I keep them? It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, but you make a killing off of them. What would be, like, your, like, I'm selling price? Like, what would somebody have to give you? I don't know. thousand don't, a ticket? No. More? More. More? I like the experience. So, for your two season tickets, they'd have to take, what, give you 25000 10000 I don't even know. There's not, you don't have a number? I don't think so. Million? Would I don't do think it? so. Million dollars. I'll tell you what, though. There might be another game I'm more excited about than Notre Dame. Really? There might be. Interesting. We'll get to that one in a minute here. Uh, I don't I don't think I could sell them. I don't know. Like, that's, that's irresponsible. Like, There's no way you would sell them. I wouldn't? No. You no. would not. Uh, I don't know. Man. I, well, it would have to be like $100,000 minimum. Like that's like it had to be life, literally life changing money. But then, oh my god, I'd hate myself. I would, I would take them. I, well, I don't know if I take the money. If I took the money, I'd hate myself the rest of my life. I feel like I had to turn in my dog card. I mean, that's tough. It's tough. But I know people out there are selling. But anyway, it's a big game, and uh, I know you might think this should be higher on the list. I, I just, I don't know. They're going to be a good team. I know they're in the playoff last year. I just, man, they, they're kind of a lot to me a lot like Miami from uh, a couple of years ago, where they were smoking mirrors going into uh, the final parts of the season. Now, Miami kind of collapsed before they got to the playoffs. Notre Dame didn't quite collapse like that. But I just don't – if you look at them statistically, they were not that great last year. Well, who did they play last year also? I mean, exactly. Who did my like, – yeah. nobody. They Miami. didn't play anyone until they had to play Clemson. And we also – That was that. just I mean, they, Well, they played Michigan in week one. But still. But if he was mean, at Notre Dame in Shea Patterson's first game, they didn't know what they had in Shea Patterson. They weren't. Using, and I was sitting in that game, was like, "Why are you using Shea Patterson like this?" Uh, I don't know. Michigan was probably the only team that was worth anything on the regular season schedule they played. Well, all year last year it was, "Oh, maybe Vandy can give him a good game. Oh, maybe Stanford can give him a good game. Maybe USC can give him a good Vandy game." Vandy almost beat them uh, in I South Bend. No, it was came within ugly. a drive. Yeah. And everybody was just hoping game after game that somebody. I mean, hell, we all had a hope that Florida State would give them a run for their money. Yeah, and mm. yeah Florida State 
That's a whole episode. Well, and, like all the teams that were like, but the thing was coming into last year, everyone's talking about how how tough Notre Dame's schedule is. Oh my God, it's it's, it's murderous show. And like you look at the, look at the schedule, okay, well yeah, all right. Mission, you know that was a tough game. You look at uh, Stanford was supposed to be good. Stanford was not what Stanford usually is. Virginia Tech was had their worst season in I don't know how many years, long time, long time last year. Uh, Florida State terrible. USC USC didn't make a bowl. They were terrible. Pittsburgh, I know they won the the ACC Coastal, but they were seven and five. Uh, was it like outside of Michigan was like Northwestern their toughest game, maybe, or Syracuse? Like, and if those are your second and third toughest games, like your schedule sucks. Yeah. But they just weren't very. They just, they were good. They were solid. They weren't a bad team. They just weren't like playoff caliber. We all saw. They were that. not challenged. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, like I think offensively this year they're going to be solid. Um, Ian Book is back as a quarterback. You know that's kind of when things really turned in the right direction for them last year. Is once Ian Book was inserted in the lineup over Brandon Wimbush. Things kind of got on track for them offensively. Fortunately for them, they did not lose a game before they made that change. Um, and Book never kind of looked back. And, and Book's a good player. Uh, he's just like he's not an elite quarterback. He he's mobile. He's an, he's mobile enough to kind of pose a somewhat of a threat with his legs. He's an accurate passer in the intermediate to underneath range. He's not a particularly accurate passer down the field. He doesn't really concern me down the field. Now, one guy they do lose, I think they're going to really really miss this year is running back Dexter Williams. Um, this is a dude that ran for over a thousand yards. I think he actually right at a thousand yards in only nine games last year. He missed the first four games of the year last year. And only nine games was for a thousand yards, almost six and a half yards to carry. They lose him, and, and behind him, you got Tony Pride Jr. You've got Jafar Armstrong. Neither one of those guys have really done much of anything, and they're just they're oh they're solid at best, solid at best. So I think that's a major uh, downgrade for them there at receiver. They lose their top receiver in Miles Boykin. I think Chase Claypool can come in and fill that role pretty well. Chris Fingy's another guy in the slot. He kind of fits that new age slot receiver position, and he he's just a, a kind of a, a pest there. Uh, defensively, they have they I don't know I don't know what to feel about them defensively. They they lose what I think were their four, well, at least four of their five best players defensively last year. And to me, the biggest loss was Drew Tranquil. He wasn't the highest rated guy. He wasn't the guy that went highest in the draft. But, man, he was the heart and soul of that defense. He kind of played that space backer position for them, which is really important in, in defending these like new age spread offenses. Uh, and he fit that to a T last year. It was just such a tough dude for them. I think losing him is going to be a big loss for them. Then they lose Jerry Tillery, who's an uh, early NFL draft pick. Tavon Coney, who was their leading uh, tackler last year at middle linebacker. He's gone. Julian Love, who was an NFL draft pick as well as their top cornerback. All four of these guys are gone. Now, the one guy they do have returning, and he is good, is Julian Aquara. That dude is a pass rusher off the edge. He really fits more of like a true 4-3 defensive end. Uh, he had 21 hurries on the year last year, 8 sacks, 12 and a half tackles for loss. I thought he might leave early. I was kind of hoping he would leave early, but he didn't leave early, and it sucks. Um, so him coming back along with Khalid Cream on the other side, that's a really nasty pass rushing duo. But the thing is, if that's all you have right now, well, and they have some other players. Those are the two big-time players that I'm looking at on this team. Our offensive line matches up well with that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, our offensive line matches up well there. And uh, so I think we can we're, we might have the ability to negate that to a degree. So I feel pretty – I'm not – I feel like we should win this game. Like if we lose this game, like what, like what's the like, – would you be surprised if we lost this game? Or would you be like, oh, well, you know. I will be surprised if we lose this game. Shocked or just surprised? There's a difference. Mm, probably shocked. Shocked? I think well, at home – at night, like, yeah. this game. it's going to be a night. Like, if we you are watch at, the yeah. press conference. It's a night game. <laughs> yeah, if you watch Kirby at his meetings, as Charlie's referring to, he they're asking about you know Notre Dame coming to town, and he's like, yeah, you know it's going to be a night game. And like no one called him out on it, but I was like, did no one hear this? And like we are look, we we aren't idiots. We knew that when they moved the doubleheader up to September twenty first, when it's always LSU Alabama, uh, it was going to be us. But um, 
Yeah, so it's going to be a night game. It's going to be a crazy environment. Hopefully we don't have too many Notre Dame fans. You know, they're going to try to return the favor. We did leave out one thing. What did I leave out? They lost their place kicker. Oh, Justin Noon. And their punter. So their special teams is questionable. And coming into a hostile environment like Athens? Yes. So At night? We might be able to hold them to a few points. It's tricky. And throw their kickers off. It's tricky. How important are kickers? Very important. We wouldn't run the Rose Bowl without Rodrigo Blankenship. Absolutely. Yeah. So, hot rod. Hot rod. We all love him. Um, all right. So, number four. So, who'd you, who'd you have at five? I had Mizzou at five. Okay. So, you had you – because had, we just had them kind of flipped here. I had Mizzou at four, and you had them at, at five. So, for you, what are you thinking? Why is Notre Dame going to be tougher than Mizzou? Well, with Kelly Bryant coming over from Clemson, by the way, he's living in a way better college town now in Columbia, Missouri. Um, than he would yeah, be in zero Clemson. Doubt. Zero doubt. Clemson, had, terrible. If you've never been to a Mizzou game, you need to go the next time Georgia goes next year. I second that. I think that Mizzou is going to be questionable with Bryant at quarterback because what has Derek Dooley done with a quarterback like that before? Do you have a question about the fit? Yeah. Because, I mean, Derek Dooley's a pro style guy. He came from the NFL. I mean, he was in college with Tennessee, then goes to the NFL. And now you got a guy that's a, uh, obviously a spread-type running back. Our quarterback. And Kelly Bryant is totally different than Drew Locke. Oh, extraordinarily different. I mean, Locke was mobile enough, but like Locke was play action, hit the ball vertically down the field. Kelly Bryant, was that what he did at Clemson? No. No. It was, Absolutely not. Yeah, it was not It was not his game. And like, I'm not saying he can't do it, but I mean, that's, that's fair. It's a fair point there. I see where you're coming from. I But for me, here's, here's let me counter that. Here's why I had... Uh, Missouri coming at number four. Really, for me, it's it's a situational thing. Like Notre Dame might actually be a better team than Missouri. I don't think you're that far off. I, I think there's some questions about Kelly Bryant and the fit there. I think that's a that's a very fair concern to have. But situationally, I look at where Mizzou falls on the schedule, um, and it concerns me. We all know the old cliche trap game, right? Trap game, trap game. We all know what that is. I think Missouri, if you look at our schedule, is like some people are saying Tennessee's a trap game because it comes it falls right after. Uh, or not right after, but it falls after the Notre Dame game. But we have a bye week between that, so I'm not actually that concerned about Tennessee. I think we'll, we'll have a time, we we'll have a week to get rating our minds right. We'll be fine. But Missouri, that is a trap game scenario. It's sandwiched right between Florida and Auburn. That mm, that is concerning to me. And they also here's the other thing: Missouri has a bye week coming into that game. So not only is that game sandwiched between two traditional rivals that are going to be probably big time opponents for us. You got little old Missouri, right? Poor Piddle from me, Missouri. And they have a bye week coming into that week. And, and we're we... going to Auburn this year. So yeah. all of those players that lost they're gonna be thinking about revenge. two years ago, let's hope that's not all they're thinking about I mean, the week we play Missouri. It, you know, Kirby's going to have his work cut out for him this one to get the guys mentally ready. After the after an emotional floor game, you got like you said, absolutely. We all know what happened in Auburn last year or two years ago. And the guys that were there, a lot of guys on the team, they're going to be thinking about that. There's no doubt. They want to make amends for that. Um, so I, I think, honestly, like it's the, the, the situation there is just, it's concerning to me. We are, again, the be- like we're the better team every every week we, we strap up the, the chin strap, right? Is that what we strap on the chin? Uh, whatever. Every time we strap on the pads, put on the old helmet, uh, we're going to be the better football team. There's no doubt in my mind from a talent perspective, but we all know ups has happened in college football. In situations like this, sometimes call for that. And I just got to hope it doesn't happen. But I will say, I, I think one thing that might help in this situation and maybe make it less of a trap game is that if you look at that Missouri schedule, I and I was talking about this, look, I, what I, I, mean, I, I don't know if you guys remember this. I don't know if I actually know if I said on the podcast. I was telling some buddies 
was telling Curtis, and I might, I might as well you, Charlie. I can't remember who I was telling this to. But I kept saying at the end of last year, like, man, Missouri is one good grad transfer quarterback away from being dangerous next year, as in 2019. And, oh, what did they do? They went out and got the best grad transfer quarterback on the market. Now, we'll see what kind of fit. You're right. We'll see what the fit is like. But, man, like, they have some players, dude. They have, Their offensive line is legit. Incredibly good. Larry Roundtree is a running back that, for whatever reason, nobody talks about. Tyler Bates, a really good backup option. A great receiver out of the backfield. Got Jalen Knox at wide receiver. Albert O at tight end. I mean, they've got players offensively. And defensively, now, they have some concerns. Uh, I mean, they were horrific against the pass last year. I mean, I would not make any bones about that. I'm actually, I've been working on the Missouri uh, Scout on the Enemy show. And, like, I knew they weren't good against the pass last year, but I was kind of appalled at exactly how bad they were. So, I mean, they were 14th in the league last year, dead last, giving up 262 yards a game through the air. And they had no passers. They were 94th nationally in passers. And that's the difference this Missouri defense last year. Think about years past. Marcus Golden, Shane Ray, guys like that coming off the edge. Michael Sam, those elite pass rushers they've always had. They didn't have them last year. I don't know who that guy's going to be this year. They don't find that guy. I don't know if they're going to be that much better defensively. But still, situation, it's a tough one. They have two really good cornerbacks. They're top five in returning completion percentage allowed. And Demarcus Acey and Christian Holmes. Those guys are good players. Um, and then you've got... A couple of guys on the defensive line. Jordan Elliott is a, f- a former transfer from Texas. You know, you're losing Terry Beckner Jr., who was a stud last year on the defensive line. I was actually watching them play last night. Holy crap, that guy was just so good, so good. Uh, but Jordan Elliott came on late in the year as well. He made some plays for them. So uh, they don't have a, as much talent defensively, but I think they might be good enough if the offense can be as good as I think that offense is going to be. If you, if you look at that schedule, though, one thing I do I do think is that they're going to be maybe 8-0. You look at the schedule, didn't you? Yes. Like, may, like, look at that schedule. Read that off to us. Okay, they're at Wyoming. When? Uh, then they play West Virginia at when? home. Um, Missouri State. When? South Carolina. Yeah, that's one they could lose. Troy. When? Ole Miss. When? At Vandy. When? At Kentucky. When they could possibly lose. And, and then, then at, at Georgia. I think there's only two games they could possibly lose in those first seven games. Maybe South Carolina, or eight games. Maybe South Carolina at home. Maybe at Kentucky. I think they're better than both teams. I really do. There's a legit chance to get up 8-0, and, and I think maybe at worst, absolute worst, 6-2, maybe more likely, so we'll, we'll split the difference and say 7-1. They are they could potentially be a top-10 team coming to Athens, and that might help us out. Seriously, that might be good for us. I, mean, I know you don't want your divisional opponents to be that good because you want to run away with the division, but that, that could maybe help us get our attention on this game if they're a top-10 team coming to Athens. So maybe. I don't know. But I, I am concerned about the situation there. They're a good team. Nobody's really talking about it. They had a little bit of love getting, that they were getting in the SEC, the SEC media days last week. But uh, I think they're going to be pretty good. We'll see. We'll see. All right. So we're going to the top three. Who you got in the top three? This is the game. So, I all right. So most... we've got – so this is a tier. Going back to what you said at the beginning. Tiers, right? Yes. So who, is your, who are the last three that we have left here? Okay. So at three, I have Texas A&M. Right. At two, I have Florida. Right. And at one, I have Auburn. But I will tell you, I flipped Auburn and Florida for one and two about an hour before we did this. Actually, I was the the inverse of that. I had Auburn at number one, and then I flipped them about an hour before the show oh. to number two. So we're we're a little bit we're, we're we're on the same path there. Like we're thinking like, oh my god, like either one of these games could be number one. And I and dude, like preparing for the show, guys, for the past couple of weeks. I've gone, like, thinking about the show, Going, I've gone back and forth. Like, between eight, honestly, at different times, I've had Auburn number one, Florida number one, and A&M number one. 
Yeah, I've had A&M at one for sure. Yeah, you and I talked about that a couple weeks ago. Like we were you were thinking, man, I think A&M might be like that might be the best team on the schedule. I'm like, I don't know. I think I talked to you. I don't know if I talked to you out. I don't want to take credit for that, but we got them at three, so maybe I did. Uh, but yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I I don't feel confident how I have these top three teams ranked uh, because I think there's an argument to be made for any of the three. You went with Texas A&M at number three. I also went with Texas A&M at number three. Um, you got anything on A&M? Why is A&M at three? But first of all, like, why are they in the top three? This is a team that, you know, they were solid last year. Why are they in the top three? I mean, you got teams like Notre Dame on the schedule, at Tennessee. I'm just excited to watch Texas A&M in Athens. However, I wish that we were actually going to A&M because that's one of the places I have not been in the SEC yet. When is that happening? Like 2024? Like... I might, I'm, I might or I'm might sure not be alive. I'm sure you have it on your calendar already. I might or might not be alive. Well, you know, I have A&M at three. They have a good run defense. However, their passing defense was, what, 12th in the SEC last well, year? Well, they were terrible. They were terrible against the pass. They give a ton of big plays. We're questionable on their running back. They're losing Travion Williams, who was a 1,700-yard rusher with over 2,000 yards from scrimmage. Um, we're expecting Mon to make improvements, um, and he does have receivers back, but will he make a big enough jump and continue to make progress this season to help them? And who, who's the coach? Who's the coach? Jimbo Fisher, quarterback specialist. Right. So, so that's, hopefully, but you never know. I, hopefully. I don't hope he improves. <laughs> I hope I, he's terrible. Well, I mean, I just, I just like to watch good football. Not when they're coming to Athens. But at least it's in Athens. Yeah, it's in Athens. But I don't want it to be good. I want it to be like one of 27. They also have the most difficult schedule in the nation, in yeah. my opinion. They have to play at Clemson. Yep. They get Auburn at home. Yep. They get Alabama at home. Yep. But they have to come to Georgia and then turn right back around and go to LSU. Like, who in the country finishes the season? South Carolina at home at Georgia at LSU in three consecutive weeks. That's that's just crazy. They'll get one of those big games. You think Just so? You watch. Seriously, get one of them. which one? Mm-hmm. Well, I wrote down Clemson, but I'm questioning at that Clemson? now. So I mean, well, at well, at Clemson, Alabama at home, or at Georgia? You think they get one of those three? Yeah, they're gonna get one of them. I throw at LSU in there. I say that's that's four. Yeah, one of the four for sure. They're gonna get one at Clemson. Let's just Watch hope it. it's not at, at Georgia. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you though on Travion Williams. Like Travion Williams was like. I don't want to say he was the entire offense last year, but he was the he was the cog that kept that thing going. They do have some good receivers. There's no doubt there. Uh, Kendall Rogers is, a, is, a, is definitely a red zone threat for them. Uh, they've got a couple other guys. You got Davis, Buckley, Jamon Osmond. Those guys are they have three or four really good receivers last uh, from last year, and they're all coming back. Uh, but not only are they losing one guy you didn't mention, they're losing Travion Williams, who was the key. But in the past game. Jace Sternberger, the tight end, the Juco tight end that came in for one year, was an eight, over 800-yard receiver for them last year. He's gone, and they have a guy coming in, uh, Blake Cup. I, think, I know his last name, I think it's Blake, uh, but last name Cup is a true freshman from Texas, 6'6", 240, 250-pound guy that they're really high on. I've heard a lot about him. I haven't seen much from him other than his high school tape, but he's a guy that they're going to try to fill that role. We'll see how well he can fill that role. I just, I don't know, like... There, you can make an argument if Kellen Mond takes a huge step in year two under Jimbo Fisher in that in that offense. And Jimbo Fisher is like he's got the, got the reputation like Dan Mullins, a quarterback whisperer for whatever reason. Uh, I guess he's put some guys in the NFL. None of them have, have had any success in the NFL, but they've had some success in college and gotten the NFL. Um, so if he takes a huge step this year, yeah, maybe they could be higher on my list, a little bit higher. They're already high, maybe a little bit higher. But like 
I mean, if you look at Kellen right now, he's a career 55% passer. Is that good enough? Right now, no. That's not even close. I mean, he was, I think, what, 57, 58% last year? He's going to, for them to kind of offset the loss of Travion Williams and Jay Sternberger, Kellen Mond, for them to take the next step and maybe get one of those big games that you were talking about and to contend for the SEC West, he's going to have to be closer to like 65%. And that's a huge jump to make in one year. Now, maybe he does it, but this is a guy that was not a pro-style guy coming out of high school. He was recruited to run Kevin Sullivan's spread offense. He's more of a runner by trade. Now, they're trying to make him more of a pro-style guy, but I don't know how the fit is. Like, I know Jimbo Fisher is the quarterback guru. I get all that, but like Kellen Mond is not nearly as polished as some of these other guys that he was working with. So I don't know. We'll see. Maybe he takes that big step this year. He's definitely a threat with his legs. Got a solid arm. And he can make some things happen. There's no doubt. Run around there and create some stuff. But I don't know. Uh, you lose your two best weapons offensively. You mentioned how bad they were defense, especially against the pass. So like they're going to be good. It's going to be a tough game. Don't get me wrong. Jimbo Fisher's a great coach. We all know that. But I just don't know what some of the issues they have and some of the losses from last year. I think they only have like three stars returning on defense too, um, which is going to be a problem. Uh, losing Ataro Laka is a big-time inside linebacker for them. But, uh, yes, yeah, so I got him at three. Good team. I just don't know if I have him in my uh, my top two. All right. So this is where we could d- had a little bit of difference, too. So you ended up, finally, when the dust settled, you ended up with Auburn at one and Florida at two. Uh, you mind if I tell you why I have Auburn at two? Sure. All right. So here's my thing. I I actually don't even know if I disagree with you. Like, I, 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 I think in my heart, I think Auburn's going to be the toughest game on the schedule. Um, but I have, there's, I kind of know more of what Florida is going to be this year than what I know Auburn's going to be. There's more certainty with me. Like I, I think I have a pretty good idea like what Florida could be. Like, I don't think there's that big of a guy. I think they, like the floor for Florida is probably like nine and three, maybe mm-hmm. eight and four is absolute floor. And then they sure ceiling can be 11 and one, something like that. Auburn could be as good as like 11 and one, but they could also be as bad as like five and seven or six and six. So like, that uncertainty there, that that gap between their ceiling and their floor, is what kind of caused me at the end to kind of pull back on Auburn. But like, if things click for Auburn, they absolutely could be the best team on the schedule, the, hard, the toughest game. They absolutely could be. I just don't know if I'm ready. To, like, I just don't know enough right now, especially with the quarterback situation, to say, yeah, it's gonna click for Auburn. Uh, it's just and look. The reason I, I consider them number one is like, okay, we all know about how tough that place is to play at times. Now we've been there a couple of times when it like wasn't that tough. Um, it wasn't a crazy environment. But two years ago, two years ago, it was very loud, obnoxious, and cold. Um, oh, it's cold as hell. But before that, we had been a few other times, and it was just kind of dead. Yeah. Uh, so I expect it to be another scary. But it, one. but it depends on how the, how their season's going. Right this and like, is what time is the game going to be a new? Like, is it going to be eleven o'clock, eleven o'clock local Central Time kickoff? Because you know we've had games like that before there, and it was like nothing going. That's when you have the dead environments. But if it's three thirty and they're and they're still in the college football playoff hunt, then it could be crazy, kind of what you saw two years ago. It's just tough to say, uh, but it can be obviously a very tough place to play. We saw that two years ago. I just I don't know, man. Like, it, 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 honestly, the difficulty of this game to me comes down to how Auburn has fared in the 2019 season when they play us, right? Because if Gus Malzahn face plants again this year, he's gone, right? So if we get to what week, the, the third, the, what was that, week uh, 11 for us, week 12, week 12, I don't know, what the, what, what is that? Well, 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 the two bye weeks this year kind of throws me off. So is that week 12, week 10, 10 week 10 officially? I know it's our it's our 10th game, but what week is that? We I have mean, two bye weeks. It's our 10th Whatever, it's our, t- it's our game 10, right? <laughs> if we get to game number 10, and Auburn is like six and four or five and five, 
Like, Gus Malzahn, might, he might have already been fired, right? And in that situation, they could be a train wreck and we could just kill them. But if they're 9-1, and 8-2, and two, then, like, that is going to be a difficult game. If that's the scenario where they're, like, 8-2, eight and, eight and 9-1, and one, that's going to be the toughest game on our schedule. Mm-hmm. But if they're 5-5, five 6-4, and, five, six and four, then I would say probably Florida would be the toughest game. So it's just hard for me to say. And, like, and it's, you just don't know because, like, offensively, they return, like, they return some skill players I think are pretty good. You've got Anthony Schwartz, who's like a track superstar out there. Seth Williams is the guy I think I'm really high on at receiver. Reminds me a lot of Sammy Coates from years ago. Uh, they got some guys out there. And uh, Booby Whitlow, well, actually, I take that. I refuse to call him that. Jartavius Whitlow, all right, go with this God-given name, is a is a solid back. He's not a, he's not a stud, but like neither was Trey Mason years ago. Because the thing is, Auburn's offense, when Gus Malzahn is calling the plays, traditionally, it's all about the quarterback. Do you have a quarterback that can be a run threat? Because if you do, that offense can be dangerous. They did not have that last year, really the past two years with Jarrett Stidham. They, they did enough with smoke and mirrors with Carryon Johnson two years ago. Last year, they didn't have Carryon Johnson, and Jarrett Stidham was not the quarterback that fit the system that Gus Malzahn wants to run. And we all saw what happened. They fell well, off the face of the earth. And Malzahn is taking the offensive play calling duties back this season. So if right. he's really an offensive specialist guru that he's sold that he's sold himself to be or tried to convince everyone that he is, then they could be really good. They could. Absolutely. And or that's that's what concerns me. It might be atrocious. Well he's coaching for his job. Like he knows that right now. And that's kinda of why he took the play calling duties back, right? Well, don't you think he took the play calling duties back because if I'm gonna get fired, if I'm on the hot seat, I'm gonna go out swinging. Right? Well, we can rewind to that clip from last year. Which game was that where he was caught mouthing? Talk- they better not fire me. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was last year. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They better not fire Oh, yeah, I remember on the sidelines there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll see towards the end of the season if he's, you know, worried about his job or not. Well, if but- he is, we're going to win that game. We're, we're going to blow him out. But if he, if they're rolling, it's going to be tough. But it's going to come down to the quarterback play. And they got two guys. they got a redshirt freshman, Joey Gatewood, and a true freshman, Bo Nix, son of a uh, former Auburn quarterback. Uh, who's who's coming in? And both guys are much more system fits. Gatewood's a little bit more of a of a of a runner than Nix is, but Nix is certainly mobile enough himself to fit what Gus wants to do. He's probably a little bit better passer. We don't know who's going to be the guy right now. We, honestly, right now I have no clue the guy's going to be. They, he's kept that pretty close to the vest. But if like they get the quarterback play, it it makes everything so much better. Yeah, I know their offensive line was bad last year, but the thing is. The offensive line in Gus's traditional scheme, which they really weren't able to run last year with Jarrett Stidham, they had to adjust things. The offensive line is de-emphasized that because uh, they, they are able, they're able to block defenders without having to use a blocker with their play fakes, with RPOs, things like that. Like, pass protection is de-emphasized. They get to go pop the ball out of the quarterback's hand very quickly. And so I know their quarterbacks are going to be inexperienced, but traditionally, Gus runs that spread system. That's kind of spread to run system where it's a very run-heavy offense, creates a lot of single read man coverage looks very favorable coverage looks easy coverage looks for his quarterbacks and they are able to feast those they basically just have man coverage play action on the field and they throw the ball out there let the receiver go make a play so it's it's an if they're running gus's offense his traditional offense that he ran for years with cam newton and nick marshall then it's an easy it's an easier offense for a young quarterback to come in and make an impact than most offenses out there. They're much easier than our offense is for a guy like Justin Fields last year because there's just not as much on the quarterback. He just does a lot schematically to kind of de-emphasize some of the reads that they have to, to take on. The offensive line doesn't become as much of an issue because, again, they're blocking guys without actually having to block them, taking them out of plays by just reading them, essentially. So I think, and obviously we didn't even talk about their defensive line, which I think is... Their defensive line is pretty good. 
pretty good. Like I'm like I think it's the closest thing to what Clemson's defensive front was last year in college football this year. He's coming into the year. You got Derek Brown, you got Nick Coe, you got Marlon Davidson. They got all three of these guys back. You throw in Big Cat Bryant, TD Moultrie coming off the edge there. Now they start to find a guy that can be that pass rush specialist. They haven't had that. They didn't have that last year uh, with Holland gone. Um, but they're really, really good up front. If you're good in the trenches in the SEC, you got a chance. So the question, I think they're going to be good defensively. The question, be, uh, they're not going to be as good. Losing Deshaun Davis, and linebacker, is not going to be great for them. But defensive front is going to be really good. The question becomes quarterback. If the quarterback is competent enough to run Gus's system, which I think there's a good possibility, we just don't know, it's hard to say, then um, then they could potentially potentially be the toughest game of the schedule. But if you look at the beginning of that schedule, you got Oregon in week one. I think they lose that game They're right now. They're going to lose that game. I think they lose it. And they got to go to a and I think in, in like week four. You got to go to LSU maybe the week after, shortly after that. So like they got to go to Florida. So I mean like there is a – like there, I think there's probably a better – the reason I moved them down to number two is I think there's a better chance to say that they have like four losses coming to our game than like only two if you look at the schedule. Ouch. So, well, I mean, look, I mean they got – Oregon, who's it's I think very gonna be really, Oregon's going to be really good at LSU, at A and M, at Florida. It'll be interesting to watch that first game. Yeah, I, I, that's I'm actually kind of is pissed. that a night game? Yes, I'm pissed. Uh, Our the game. Same time as the I know Jordan I'm pissed. Game. Like I know everyone loves night games, but God, like all the other freaking good games come out night. So when our games on night, I have to like record it and watch it when I get home at like, eleven o'clock. I'm going to bed like three o'clock in the morning. It's just terrible. It's terrible. I hate it, especially when we're on the road. We don't our road games don't need to be at night. Terrible. Pissed about that. Whatever. All right, and then I got Florida at number one. All right, now I just want you to tell me where you disagree with me here. All right, feel free to interject at any point. Okay. So here's why I went Florida number one. I kind of laid out why Auburn number two. So I kind of made the case there. And I know this sounds kind of cliche. I know it's the obvi- most people say, oh, Florida's the obvious pick number one. That's kind of why I didn't want to put them at number one. But I got to be intellectually honest here, guys. And I just, I just looking at Auburn's schedule, the early part of that first half of the schedule, I just don't know how to get out of there without at least three losses. And Gus might very much be gone by the time he gets to Athens, or we get to we get to Auburn. Uh, but Florida, look, they they're not better than us. They don't have better players than us. I've done this Florida scout on the Enemy Show. If you're a subscriber, you've already had access to that. Um, you guys know what I think about them. I try to lay lay out all the reasons why I think that this Florida hype is a little overplayed. They do have skill, talent, offense though. Uh, Van Jefferson it has the talent to be a very good receiver. Grimes can be a really good receiver. I think Kadarius Tony is vastly underused. A great playmaker for them. Uh, a dangerous playmaker. He doesn't make a lot of plays. They don't give him the ball. Uh, Tyree Cleveland's a deep threat. There's no doubt about that. P. Ryan, mm, he's a solid-ish running back. He's nothing special. Felipe Franks is what Felipe Franks is. He's, it kind of reminds me of Calamon, right? Like this guy has been like a, a sub-60% career passer, and all of a sudden people are expecting him to be like this second coming this year. Like I just, based on what? Well, Dan Mullen's one of those other offensive guys well, who... Those quarterback coaches, that Prescott's. Maybe he sprinkled some fairy dust. But why didn't, he, why didn't he sprinkle the fairy dust last year? Well, maybe, maybe time? Maybe, well, I mean, yeah, I know I know Felipe, you're right. I mean, I know Franks was better down the stretch, but look at who Franks was playing down the stretch. He's playing nobody. Florida State, the worst team they've ever... Like, worst team Florida State's had in, what, 30 years? Yeah. Idaho, uh, South Carolina, who was devastated by injuries at that point, and then they beat Michigan, who was down eight starters in that game. So, I mean, I don't know. Um, Franks... I will say they kind of figured out how to use Franks as the season went on. They started to run him more, which kind of fits what, kind of like in some ways, similar to Malzahn, that's kind of what Mullen does with his quarterbacks. And they started to do that more with Felipe Franks down the stretch there. Um, but I, I, he'll be improved. I just don't know if it's going to be a significant improvement. Uh, offensive line is going to be a problem for them as well. They lose a lot of players off that offensive line. And they lose a ton of guys off defense. Just they have two strong cornerbacks in Marco Wilson and C.J. Henderson. Those are really, that's a really strong cornerback duo. But when you lose 
well, I think with the three most impactful players on their defense last year, you got Ja'Kai Polite, Chauncey Gardner Jr., and Voshan Joseph, inside linebacker. All three of those guys are gone, and they're in the NFL right now, or at least trying to make a team in the NFL. Uh, and I think those are the three most impactful players they had defensively last year. So I guess I'm kind of talking myself out of Florida here. Uh, uh, but still, I, I, I want to say I, I'm putting Florida at number one because Auburn, just the uncertainty surrounding Auburn. I think, we again, we know what Florida is. I think ceiling's probably 11-1-ish. and one-ish. Floor's probably 8-4-ish. and four-ish. I don't see them being any worse than that. So we just kind of have a better idea of what they're going to be. It's a safer pick for me to put them at number one. But I absolutely can see a scenario where Auburn is better than them. Um, but right now, I mean, would you say you, who do you trust more, Gus Malzahn or Dan Mullen? I know you're not high on either one. Neither. I know, Ugh. but like coming into this year, who do you trust more? Maybe Malzahn. I guess Maybe he has Mullen? he has played a national I championship. Know. I don't know. I guess Mullen. I, I guess what I'm saying is Mullen's safer right now. Like Malzahn, if he loses a couple games early in the year, the pitchforks are going to be out at Auburn. That's true. And right and right pitch. now, the Florida fans and they're notoriously fickle, but they feel like Dan Mullen is like their heavenly father right now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. Like, there's an argument made on who's the better coach. I'm not sold on Dan Mullen being a superstar coach like everyone wants to make him out to be, at least a lot of the people in the national media. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I think Florida is stable enough defensively, and they have enough playmakers offensively to give us a game. There's no doubt. Uh, I do think if Auburn has the quarterback situation figured out, that it's going to be a tougher game. But right now, I just I just don't know that. We just know more about Florida. I know that's a, a, a cheap way to kind of end this show. But I, I just, as you can tell, I've kind of gone back and forth between one and two here, whether it's going to be Auburn. Auburn, you know, it's on the road to Florida neutral sign. I don't know, man. It's a tough one. You might be right on this one. You, you could right. talk yourself yeah. into it either way. You can. Absolutely. But uh, all right, guys, that does it for us here today on the Glory UGA podcast. Miss Charlie's inaugural foray onto our show here. So we hope you guys appreciate it. Um, and uh, she will be back on us periodically throughout the season. Kurt, again, Kurt's still going to very much be a part of the show, but uh, there's going to be some shows he will not be able to do now that he is heading to law school. And Charlie's going to be the one kind of filling in. So we're very, very excited to have her. Uh, and sh- uh, where can they find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at ClassicCharlie3. At Classic Charlie 3. Okay. Yeah. Feel free to tweet me. I don't have Instagram. I don't really know how that works. Yeah. For, you're like the only person in America. Technologically challenged. You don't even hardly know how to work Twitter. I mean. Not uh, really. It's, it's crazy. But yeah. So you can find her at, say one more time, Classic Charlie 3. Yes. And uh, you can, of course, find the Glory UJ podcast, which is basically me tweeting stuff. Uh, which is uh, at Glory underscore UGA. Again, if you're not a subscriber, you can still subscribe now. Get in before the season starts. Get access to all the content. We have a lot of great stuff planned for you guys leading up to the 2019 season. Of course, once we get in the season again, that's that's why we brought Charlie aboard here. We're going to have the plans to have three to five shows each and every week. So a lot of great stuff coming for you guys. We're trying to expand a little bit here and cover the Georgia football team even better than we have before. And we will definitely have more details on what those shows throughout the football season are going to be. We'll definitely obviously have the recap show like we've always had. We're going to have the game preview shows like we've always had. Uh, a mailbag show each week. But we have a, a couple different ideas as well that we're going to add to the mix this year. And we, we will be rolling out those details here over the next couple of weeks. So thanks, guys. We really, really appreciate you. Give us a chance here sticking it out today. Uh, and uh, yeah, we'll be back. And as always, go dogs. Go dogs.